WMRA News. I'm Bob Levicky. Rockingham County school librarians remind the school board that established policies already give parents control over what their children can access. A state watchdog says the only state-run psychiatric hospital for minors located in Stanton should be closed. And Tuesday was crossover day for the General Assembly, so we review where legislation stands midway through this year's session. This is the WMRA Daily for Wednesday, February 14. Rockingham County School librarians told the school board Tuesday that established policies they crafted already give parents control over content their children can access. The Harrisonburg Citizen reports the work session at Spotswood High School took place in response to the board's January decision to temporarily ban 57 books until the board could adopt a new district-wide policy about book selection and curation. The librarian said that the existing process is designed to be flexible to serve the needs of diverse populations of students. Virginia's Watchdog Agency released a report on psychiatric hospitals in December, recommending the Commonwealth Center for Children and Adolescents in Stanton be closed. WMRA's Randy B. Hagee reports. The Joint Legislative Audit and Review Commission is the entity in Virginia that looks into how state-managed and funded programs are performing. In December, it released a report on public psychiatric hospitals and found pervasive issues with understaffing that led to unsafe environments for both employees and patients. The worst facility by nearly every metric was the Commonwealth Center for Children and Adolescents, or CCCA, the one state-run psychiatric hospital for minors. One of the most alarming statistics concerned patient restraints, which means that a person's movement was restricted by hand, a device such as straps, or sedation. The commission found that the CCCA's restraint rate was 40 times the national average for similar institutions for minors. Of the state's nine public psych hospitals, the CCCA had the highest rates of physical incidents between patients, among patients and staff, and self-injurious behavior. We certainly don't like to hear those types of reports. Delegate Tony Wilt, who represents Harrisonburg and part of Rockingham County in the General Assembly, serves on the commission. There needs to be a move. I will say that. So what that move is exactly, I think it can be up for debate. He said he's not convinced the CCCA should be shut down, but the staffing issues there must be addressed. The hospital turned over almost two-thirds of its staff between fiscal years 2020 and 23. And without contract workers, it would have had a vacancy rate of 43%. And across the board, it's finding more people or paying the people that you have that's providing this care. And it's strenuous. You know, my heart goes out to those workers. We need to step up as a state and help them. The Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services, which oversees the state psychiatric hospitals, pushed back on the report. Commissioner Nelson Smith, who was appointed to run the agency in 2022, wrote in a response letter that they were already working to improve conditions at CCCA and in 2023 had reduced its restraint usage by 116 percent compared to years prior. Communications Director Lauren Cunningham declined WMRA's request for a facility tour or interview, but said in an email that, quote, a new facility director started in January 2024. We are now seeing some staffing increases and huge reductions in restraint usage. She did not respond to a follow-up email asking for specifics. To get more insight into these issues, I spoke with Melissa Gomes, the Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the University of Virginia School of Nursing. She teaches mental health nursing and runs her own outpatient clinic in Hampton. I asked about some of the challenges specific to working with youth. Children and adolescents present 
with irritability, present with agitation, less tolerance for stressors, especially when they're not feeling well. And I think that it can come across to an unassuming adult or misinformed adult as non-compliant, disrespectful, or they have an attitude. Gomes noted that the vast majority of CCCA patients come in as civil admissions rather than from the juvenile justice system. In order to get admitted, they have to be considered a danger to themselves or others. So what does that look like? That looks like fighting. It could be self-harm. It could be risky behaviors like, you know, persistent running away. She saw a direct connection between the high levels of staff turnover and the variety of safety concerns. If I don't have enough staff to even care for the amount of patients that we have, so potentially there's going to be a pocket of patients that might not be within my line of sight because I'm doing something else, or maybe I might be outnumbered in a situation. Or if you think about, do the children or adolescents even have a chance to de-escalate in a way that is not threatening to other people before they're restrained. One of the report's suggestions was for the state to close the CCCA and develop contracts with private hospitals to admit those young people. Are we just moving the problem? That's not the answer. The answer is prevention, number one. Number two, it's training. Number three, it's supporting your staff to feel comfortable speaking up, actually, because that was something that came up in the report. She does see potential in the state's plan to build community-based crisis stabilization programs where kids can get help sooner and closer to home. The General Assembly approved $58 million for crisis stabilization units in September, and the governor's new biennium budget proposes an additional $46 million for CSUs and other crisis services. Gomes previously ran a crisis stabilization program for students in the Hampton City Schools. So these were the kids that were risky in school, getting in fights and, you know, throwing stuff across the room and, you know, a danger. And, and we would bring them to our facility and they would get their school work and they would get support groups. And it was like one teacher to 12 students plus clinical staff. We didn't have any issues. And you could see the students, they just wanted to have someone listen to them and get an alternative perspective and respect them. Earlier intervention, she said, could prevent kids from ending up in the hospital in the first place. For WMRA News, I'm Randy B. Hagee. Learn more about this story and how state officials are responding through links we've posted at WMRA.org and on the app. Well, Tuesday was crossover day for the General Assembly, the midpoint of this year's 60-day session. Megan Moore with VPM News reports. After crossover, no new legislation can be proposed or considered by either chamber in Virginia's General Assembly. Bills that haven't already passed in the House of Delegates or Senate are effectively dead, while legislation that did is crossed over for further discussion. There have been more than 1,800 bills proposed in the House and just over 900 proposed in the Senate. 2024's legislature isn't as divided as last year's. Democrats control both the House and Senate compared to 2023's Republican-led House and slim-majority Democrat Senate. All bills that pass will head to Governor Glenn Youngkin's desk for final approval or his veto. Megan Moore reporting. Several senators talked about the midpoint of this year's session with Virginia Public Radio's Brad Kuttner. Northern Virginia Senator and Senate Majority Leader Scott Surreville said the new Democratic majority in both chambers gives Governor Glenn Youngkin a chance to show where his politics lie. I think that'll be good for the public to finally find out where he stands. Republicans controlled the House the last session, which meant many Democratic priorities were scrapped before reaching the governor's desk. 
Now in the majority, those priorities include new gun laws, a minimum wage increase, reproductive health, and a number of other progressive efforts unlikely to get the signature of Governor Yunkin. But if anyone wants anything passed, there must be a meeting of minds, or peace in the valley as they call it in the chamber. Southside area Republican Senator Bill Stanley said Yunkin may get a hand cramp from penning so many vetoes, but he's still hopeful some legislating gets done. What I'm really hoping for is that our emotions don't get the best of us to where we're holding things hostage or if you're going to veto this, then we're going to do this. We should think beyond that. I think we're the adults in the room. Let's act like it. Barbs have already been swapped, with Yunkin calling out progressive Democrats in a speech this past weekend and Democrats in the House railroading Republicans into a controversial abortion vote. So is Saraville optimistic for for that peace in the valley? Dinians didn't send us here to just fight with each other. They want to see us accomplish things. So we'll definitely have to compromise somewhere in order to get things done. Among efforts they will likely need compromise for success are Yunkin's arena plan, Senator Louise Lucas's skill games bill, and if the right balance is struck, maybe even a legal weed market. Brad also spoke with both new and veteran members about lessons learned by the body's freshman class. The 2023 House and Senate elections were the first run under new maps drawn after the most recent census. That led to plenty of turnover in both chambers, with freshman legislators making up about 40% of the body. Among them is Richmond area delegate Mike Jones. Said his biggest takeaway so far is do your research. I'm just lining up a ton of policy folk to talk to after session to see what I don't see, to uncover what I don't know. Over in the other chamber, Northern Virginia Senator Saddam Salim said he didn't realize how different campaigning and legislating would be. Put in a lot of bills and by the time I got to all the amendments, all the negotiations, trying to get everyone to the middle, the bills look completely different. Lynchburg area Senator Mark Peake, a more senior member in his seventh session, said the workload may have been a wake-up call to new members. They come in and the bills hit so fast and you've got so many to look through and then the committee. So I think it's just keeping up with the volume and amount of material they need to read. He's been impressed and pleased with the work from those who've joined him at the Capitol. In Richmond, I'm Brad Kuttner. A bill protecting women who come to Virginia for an abortion from states where that procedure is illegal passed the Senate on Monday. WRIC reports SB 15 would prevent states from extraditing women as well as protecting doctors who perform those procedures. The bill passed on party lines, as did similar legislation in the House of Delegates on Tuesday. Democrats are moving forward with legislation to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour But Governor Glenn Youngkin is expected to veto the bill. Virginia Public Radio's Michael Pope reports. Democrats say they're not worried about the governor's threat to veto a raise in the minimum wage. They campaigned on the issue, and now they've made this their top priority. House Bill Number 1 and Senate Bill Number 1. Republican Senator John McGuire of Goochland County voted against the bill. We live in a capitalist society. We're not socialists. If you increase the minimum wage without merit, they're just going to pass that cost on to the consumer, and it's going to be higher to afford those places in Northern Virginia. Senator Mamie Locke is a Democrat from Hampton who says workers in Virginia deserve a minimum wage of $15 an hour. I would challenge everybody on this floor to take the minimum wage challenge for a week. See if you can live off $12 an hour for a week. None of the Republicans in the Senate chamber took her up on that challenge, and Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin has indicated he's likely to veto the bill. But Democrats say they'll continue talking about it on the campaign trail. 
The General Assembly has rejected two bills that would ban political contributions from regulated utilities such as Dominion Energy. Patrick Larson with VPM News has more. Delegate Joshua Cole, a Fredericksburg Democrat, carried one of the bills. HB 190 aims to prohibit the energy companies which profit from ratepayers or our constituents from contributing to political campaigns. Dominion Energy is Virginia's biggest corporate donor. Critics say the company has too much influence on the lawmakers who regulate it. At a Senate hearing on an identical bill, attorney Chris Nolan, representing Dominion, had this to say. It decides to take the speech of one and suppress it so that others their speech is elevated as a consequence in the political realm. In recent years, Dominion's political spending has been matched and at times outweighed by Charlottesville investor Michael Bills, who chairs the advocacy group Clean Virginia. Campaign finance reform advocates support the measure, but say the GA should pursue an across-the-board contributions cap. Cole's House bill did not receive a vote after its hearing. Patrick Larson reporting. And finally today, with uh, yesterday's crossover deadline looming, the state Senate passed a bill allowing skill games. But there are still some big differences to work out, and Michael has that report. During the pandemic, Virginia allowed electronic gaming machines in convenience stores and truck stops, but that was temporary. Now, Senator Aaron Rouse is a Democrat from Virginia Beach who wants to make it permanent. The coalition supporting this legislation represents at least 7,000 small businesses in our Commonwealth. Each of those businesses employs hardworking Virginians that shows up every day for their communities. Supporters call them skill games because players are supposed to have an element of skill and not just luck to be able to win. But Senator Adam Eben is a Democrat from Alexandria who calls them gambling devices. If you go to a casino, there's been a local referendum. If you go to a historical horse racing parlor, there's been a local referendum and people know what they're getting into. And I don't have a problem with people going to a casino or, or a historical horse racing because they know they're going there to gamble and that's their intent. But I'm concerned about enticing gambling devices when people are going to a convenience store to buy milk or eggs. The House version of the bill sets a limit of two machines at a convenience store and requires approval by a local government or a referendum. The Senate version allows three machines at convenience stores and seven machines at truck stops and has no local approval. Delegates and senators will spend the next month trying to hammer out their differences. Reporting from the Capitol in Richmond, I'm Michael Pope. WMRA News. I'm Bob Levicky. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy your Wednesday. Oh, and um, 